Welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, you don't know what you stepped into tonight. Come on. I'm in my penthouse. Thank you, Lord, for upgrades. Thank you for my upgrade. Thank you for my new level. Come on. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for everything you are doing in this house. I thank you, Lord, that some of us in this room who came in this place, I see panic leaving. I see panic leaving. Panic is leaving you now. Father, we thank you. Just say, Lord, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, when you believe that you have apprehended the very thing you're praying for, the only reasonable response to it is thank you. If you believe you received, you say thank you, don't you? And Lord, we thank you for the next level of our lives. In Jesus' name. Well, we give honor, we give praise to God for the great things he has done and everything he is doing and hungry for God. Come on, if you're here for the first time, I want you to know that we're not crazy. But we are crazy about Jesus. We are crazy about God. We are crazy about his presence. And um, we're not apologetic about that. Amen. We have seen some crazy things at Hungry for God. We've seen some crazy things. And, um, you know, I'm so excited that the very things that people once thought was a fiction or thought was a fantasy when they read the Bible, we are actually seeing it in real life. Amen. I'm talking about healings and miracles, breakthroughs. And um, we're so excited because our testimony at Hungry for God is that we know God. We know him. We know him. We are building a God culture in which we are going to make, we're going to take what we know and we're going to make God known to others. And, um, and, 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 and as we know God and as we're growing up in our understanding of him, it's like we know him, but there's so much more to know, you know. And married people can understand this, that you get married and you know your spouse. You could be married for 20 years and there's still so much more to know. Amen. And so what we say when we know God, it means that while we know him, it doesn't mean we know everything we need to know about him. It means that we never stop learning, amen? We never stop growing. And that's why we can know God and still be hungry for him. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we can still be hungry for more despite of what we already know. And religious people get satisfied and comfortable with the level that they are on. Religious people say, oh, I had enough. Religious people lose, have, have, they have, they have lost their appetite. And they have, they have settled for a level 
that, watch this, doesn't even match the level we see in the Bible. It's one thing if you were healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead like Jesus, but you're not even doing that. So how could you not have a hunger for more? Right? So if you, were, if you can say that you got verifiable miracles <laughs> in your life with receipts, then we should never, ever get comfortable. We should never, ever settle for the least, much less the greatest that Jesus offers us. Amen? I said the least because Jesus said what, I'm, what I did was just the beginning. Can you imagine that? Because Jesus said, when you believe in me, the works I do, you'll be doing. And then greater works. Then these shall you do. So guess what, church? Whatever Jesus did, that was elementary. So if we're not doing what Jesus did, we're still in pre-K. We didn't even get to elementary school yet. <laughs> See, Christians today don't want to admit their need for more. And that's why you don't see more anymore. Until you can, that's why Jesus said, blessed are you when you become, when you are poor in spirit. When you're poor in spirit, I can admit I'm needy. I can admit I need more when I'm poor in the spirit, when I'm poor in spirit. And one of the things that keep you hungry for God is your aware, your awareness of the needs around you that you can't meet yet. Come on. You see, when you pray for things and then nothing happens, I'm like, all right, something should have happened when I prayed. I need more. You see? And it has nothing to do with your self-worth. It has, see, what happens is when we, the littlest sign of disappointment for many of you, your self-worth is so fragile. You, you feel like, oh, well, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not as important. Maybe I'm not as valuable to God as, you, as I thought I was. And people will walk away from the faith, walk away from God, because they have they get prayed once and nothing happened. Come on, man. Elijah prayed for rain to come. The first time he prayed, nothing happened. The second time he prayed, nothing happened. The third time he prayed, nothing happened. The fourth time he prayed, nothing happened. The Bible says that on the seventh time he prayed, he saw a cloud the size of a man's fist. It didn't happen the first or second or third time he prayed. What does that mean? You just can't say, well, because I prayed once, nothing happened. Maybe God doesn't want to answer. Maybe God wants to see how hungry you are. Yeah. See, I learned recently God does not answer prayer. He answers hunger. God answers hunger. A lot of people are praying and nothing is happening. God answers hungry people. Hallelujah. I'm hungry for more. That's the appetite we want to have. Despite of what I've seen, despite of what I've known, I know there is more on the menu. Yeah. Blind eyes opening is elementary because Jesus did that. He said we're going to do greater than that. 
deaf ears opening, that's elementary. Because he said we'll do greater than that. If we've seen it already and Jesus did it and his disciples did it, then that's the beginning. Greater works are coming to the body of Christ. Greater works are coming to the church. Greater works shall be done by sons of God again. Greater works are going to be done through you, church. Come on, if I have just 14 people to believe that with me. I'm telling you, greater works are coming to the house of God. The glory of God is going to fill the earth again. People are going to run out of hospitals and will turn and run to the church again because greater works are happening in the church than is happening in the hospitals. Mental asylums are going to start getting empty again. And the house of God is going to put the pharmaceutical company out of business. See, I really believe the church of America is going to see persecution again after the greater works start happening. The devil have to mess with us right now. We ain't, we ain't making no noise. We ain't really doing nothing. The early church was being persecuted because of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that were happening left and right in the community. That's when persecution hit the church. The devil doesn't have to rage war against us yet. When we start clearing hospital beds out again in the medical world, starts panicking because they've been banking on our sicknesses and our diseases to remain. Because the more sick we are, the more rich they can become. Who am I talking to? See, we got dependent on medicines, and they want us dependent on, on, on the pills that they, that they pump into us. They need us sick so they can be rich. But the devil is a liar. We are declaring that uh, the healing grace and the miracle grace of God is restoring back to America. I'm declaring it. I'm not happy until my shadow is healing people like Peter's did. I'm not happy. I'm not content. Do you guys know that? The Bible says Peter was walking in the street, and the Bible says people were putting people outside on the sidewalk. So as Peter was walking past, his shadow, just his shadow, was grazing them. <laughs> His shadow was great, grazed people. But guess what? Those people were so full of expectation. They were so full of faith. They were so full of, 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 of hunger. They said, listen, we're just going to put you outside. There's a man named Peter. He's going to walk past. See, I didn't see, I didn't see in scriptures Jesus' shadow healing people. But the greater started. The greater work started. And what overshadowed Peter is now overshadowing you. The same Holy Ghost that Peter had has now been released on us. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. On all flesh. You know, your flesh, not just your spirit, your flesh. The spirit is going to be poured out on. 
Your physical body is going to experience the Holy Spirit. And when he's resting on you, you're going to be carrying him like a dove. Everywhere you go, the Spirit of God will be resting on you. And God is doing a major work with us in our minds. Renewing our minds and helping us to begin to recognize just how anointed we are. Hallelujah. Say, I believe in miracles. It wasn't for yesterday. It's for today too. Come on, I'm receiving my daily bread of miracles. Woo! The supernatural is coming back to the church. And so God is beginning to teach us again. I, I can't preach like I want to preach because of the time. But God, I just feel like there's going to be demonstrations, okay? And so what God wants to do in this hour is to, is to substantiate or to validate every claim he has given us in his word. He is going to validate again everything he's promised us. And, and, and one of the things that God showed me is that we have got to get out of this belief that what I'm going through defines me. What I'm going through is what, is what defines me. You see... We're in the summer of love, so we're talking about love. And one of the things that I was thinking about was one of the, the, one of the, um, one of the apostles by the name of John, the Bible calls John um, the apostle of love. Not the Bible calls him, but people call him the apostle of love because John had a significant revelation about how loved he was, right? Uh, if you know it, the Bible says that um, when John wrote the book of John, he wrote about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved the apostle or the disciple whom Jesus loved. He talked about himself as the person that Jesus loved. And some people may have, may have thought that that was arrogance or he was being cocky, but he was confident. You need to become confident in, of, in the love of God, that the love that God has for you is real, is permanent, is present. Love is staring at you right now. God's love is staring right in your direction right now. And all he's looking is for people to receive that love. I've learned some things about faith that changed everything I knew about faith. Because I realized one thing I learned about faith is that faith is not something that I'm supposed to create or conjure up. But faith simply comes as a response of knowing how loved I am to God. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith is expressed through love. The, it's not your faith that God is looking for. It's his faith in you that he's looking for. It's not your faith that God is looking for. It's his faith in you. It's the faith of God we're supposed to walk around with. God has given every man the measure of faith. He's given faith to you. It's not yours. It's his To have faith means God gave you it. 
I want to help somebody learn how to work miracles. You will begin working miracles when you realize that faith is not, that's why all you need is a mustard seed size of it. It's not the quantity of it, it's the quality of it. It's not how much, because all you need is a mustard seed size of faith. But the problem is, is that you've been taught to think that you got to conjure up the faith. If God just drops a mustard seed of his faith inside your soul, you can move a mountain. Some of us, been, we've been, it's, like, it's like if I'm trying to, move a, trying to move a mountain in my own strength, I'm not, that mountain isn't going to go very far. <laughs> so what is God saying? He's saying you should never, ever try to do life in your own strength. There's not one thing God wants you to pray for which you are sizing yourself up saying, I, I'm, I'm, I hope I have the faith to see this thing happen. No must, there's, no, there's no ounce of faith that God ever wants you to try to develop on your own. No, faith come, simply comes by hearing and hearing what God has to say. And if you believe what God has to say about you, about your circumstances, about your life, you believe it, you accept it as your truth, as your reality, then the Bible says faith will arise out of you. Faith comes from God. So you don't have to wonder, like, God, I, I mean, if you want to pray, say, God, I want more faith. That's okay to pray. Say, God, give me more faith. Give me your faith. Give me your faith. Until that happens, I've talked about John. He was the one whom Jesus loved. That same Apostle John, you know what happened? He loved Jesus so much that by talking about Jesus, some people arrested him and put him in a, in a, in a big basin of burning oil. And they dumped him in the oil so that he can die, so that he can burn to death. And when they put him in the oil, he didn't burn to death. So they took him back out and they threw him on an island where they banished him so that he couldn't preach about the Jesus whom he loved. And then we see, the, and then we see this John in, Revel, in the book of Revelation talk about that experience, how he was on the Isle of Patmos. And then while he was there, he starts talking about Jesus again. <laughs> Which means that his circumstance didn't determine if he felt loved or not. Say, my circumstance doesn't determine how loved I am. If, that, if you think that, see, most Christians have a circumstantial theology. Their circumstances and their personal experiences is how they base God's love for them, God's reality. So some people say, well, I don't know if God loves me because I'm going through this. 
The apostle Paul preached about this love, preached about this grace, and he was in jail writing most of the New Testament. In jail, in prison, writing to the church, telling them, what I'm going through, my afflictions, don't be ashamed of it. It's for your glory. Paul, Paul did not allow his experiences to, to shape his theology or his view of God. But the revelation he received from God, he was showing you that it is bigger than your situations. So what you're going through does not determine whether or not God loves you. What you've been through is no indication at all as to whether or not God loves you. Are you getting this? So what is God doing in us right now? 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read this first. 1 John chapter 4. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm going to show you the biggest problem in Christianity today. That's a big claim. There's a lot of problems. But I feel like I gotta, I'm going to show you a, a secret as to why it seems like many churches and many Christians have not been growing and have not have been reaching new levels and why it seems like life it doesn't seem to be getting any easier. I'm going to show you something. First John chapter 4, for the sake of time, I'm going to go to verse 17. No, let's go to 15. Whoever confesses, Whoever confesses, 1 John 4, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he's in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is what? God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Yeah. Next, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Say, I am love. Come on, as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, watch this. Now, this is where the, uh, uh, the cookie begins to crumble. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. I'm going to be on this verse for the next two weeks. There is no fear in love. Say, it's impossible to love and have fear at the same time. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him. Because he first loved us. Here's another thing. It's impossible to love God first. <laughs> it's impossible to love God first. And see, what, what people think, here's what happened. He said there's no fear in love. The biggest problem in Christianity today 
is that so many so-called Christians have not been rooted and grounded in love. They have been rooted and grounded in fear. See, God told me to tell Hungry for God today, I am divorcing you from fear. Some of you have been married to fear all your life. And God said to tell you, I am divorcing you from the fear you've been married to. That you've been unified to. That you've been living with, sleeping in the bed with. God is divorcing you from fear. For you to go to the next level, you have got to get rid of fear. Fear is not your friend. Fear is not a pet to keep around you. Fear is demonic. Fear is devilish. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's giving you love. He's given you power and a sound mind. You cannot grow in God and with fear growing next to you. It seems like some more, the, the more people serve God, the more scared they get. You know why? Because their root system has been fear. They came to Christ because of fear. They had some preacher preach to them and tell them that if you don't say yes to Jesus today, there's fire and brimstone waiting for you outside the doors. <laughs> that you don't know if you cross the street, a car might hit you. Do you know where you're going after you leave? Do I have any witnesses? <laughs> the whole church. Most of you were scared into salvation. So your very beginning of your walk with God was rooted in fear. You were told about the wrath of God. You were told about the anger of God coming on sinners. That's going to result in hell, fire, and brimstone. You were told how much God hates sinners. And so those of us that have felt guilty enough, we said, you know what? Let me do something about this. Because I don't want to go to hell. And so you got up and you said, I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to make up for all my sinful habits. And I'm going to show God how much I love him. I'm going to show God how, how much I really do love him. I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to live a life better than I want to live. And all the while you've been doing that, it was all being motivated by fear. Motivated by fear. You see, fear is not a behavior. Fear is a motivation. Fear is a motivation. There's, only, there's two primary motivations in life. Fear and love. You're either motivated, living your life motivated by fear or you're living your life motivated by love. That's why if I tell you to love somebody, it's, you actually have to do something, right? 
Because love is a motivation. You have to do something to show love. Love is a verb, right? So the love might be being patient. Love might be being kind. Love might be giving to someone, helping someone. But love is not just, you just don't just do love, right? You just don't, here, here's love. It actually looks like something. So here's the deal. The fear, most Christians have have had their introduction to Christianity riddled with scare tactics and guilt trips all to get them to say yes. You know, it's like that, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like movies. I think Back to the Future had it in there. Where it was like you had that, that bully that really wants a girl, but the girl doesn't want anything to do with them. So then after being told no a few times and the bully just begins to dominate or use brute strength, and say, you're going to love me. You're going to go out with me or else. So then the girl says, okay, I guess so. And what what that person did was he, he used his strength to force that person into loving them. Love that's forced is not love at all. You can't force someone to love you. So this is what preachers have been doing. I'm going to tell you about how big and mean and how bad God is to convince you or to persuade you that you should be loving God. And if you came to God that way, and if you came to Jesus that way, you only did it because you were scared. God is not happy with that. God is not using abuse and power <laughs> to have you to show interest in him. <laughs> what does the Bible says? By my loving kindness have I drawn thee. What does the Bible say? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. What does the Bible say? It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. But most Christians and most pastors, they were taught fear too. So they just perpetuated what they were taught. And to feel like having an effective ministry, let me guilt trip you to the altar so I can feel good after service that I had a full altar. I could feel better after the service is over. We had 20 people at the altar. <laughs> and I used fear to bring all of them to Jesus. <laughs> you see, we got to counterfeit power in order to, 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 to preserve my self-worth and my self-esteem. I'm here to set you free, church. God does not want you to have any ounce of fear when you come into his presence. The Bible says you know when love has been perfected that you have no fear of judgment. Most Christians are still afraid of judgment. They're still afraid that if they, they, they don't know what's going to happen on judgment day. John wrote, you will not have fear. You know that love has been perfected among you in this 
that we are going to have boldness in the day of judgment. Come on, when love, when the love of God has been perfected in you, you have no fear of dying because you know after you leave this earth, when you stand before God in judgment, your judgment is a righteous judgment. Your judgment is that he is loved. You know who you are because as he is, so are you in this world. Love has been perfect because when you die, I know I'm going and I know who I'm going to. And he is love. There's no fear in him. <laughs> and God says that love is supposed to get started here, right now. Right here, right now. You're growing in love. That's what Christianity is. You are coming into the Father. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You're coming to the Father. And he's, and he's showing us today that the, the beginning or the root system of our lives cannot be fear but it has to be love can i help you when love comes in it removes all anxieties there should be no anxiety when you come in when you come before the presence of god no uncertainty or no sense of inferiority in his presence but if your introduction to god once again was a big mean short-tempered angry God with a short fuse that anything I do, he might be angry with me and he might judge me and punish me, then I'm never going to have the freedom to love him. You, you, can't, you, can't, you, you can't bring love, you can't bring fear into your relationship with God. And unfortunately, that's what most of us know. Watch this. Many of you cannot flourish in relationships and experience real healthy friendships because you are ruled by fear more than you're ruled by the love of God. And I made a little list of many of the few different things you know when you're ruled by fear. You know you're ruled by fear when you're ready to cut people off as soon as they say one thing you don't like. You're ruled by fear. Two, you, you, know you're, you know you're ruled by fear when you're afraid to be wrong, admit when you're wrong, or even think you could be wrong. You know you're ruled by fear when you like to be in control or you like to be controlled. Some people like to be controlled. They have a learned sense of helplessness that I don't, wanna, I don't want to be responsible <laughs> for decisions. I want you to make all the decisions for me. As powerless people come into relationships, and, they, and that's putting happiness off to the other person. My happiness is based on how you make me feel. Anybody know any like, anybody like that? Don't look around. But my happiness is based on what you do for me and what you do to me. You made me angry, so I'm angry. Bible says you got you got to have self-control. Self-control means I can't control how you feel. You control how you feel. I'll get back to that next week. Here's the final thing. You know you're controlled by fear when you when you use fear yourself to inspire the behaviors you want out of others. You use fear to inspire the behaviors you want out of others. And that happens to a lot of us because 
You see, how we see God determines how we see life. How we see God determines how we see ourselves. So if I see God as a fear-driven God, guess what? Guess what? I will use fear to motivate and inspire the behaviors I want out of people because that's what God did to me when I got saved. You think it's right to use fear to serve you. You think it's right to get others to listen to you by fear. You think it's right to inspire the behaviors you want out of your kids using fear. You learned that because you think that's how God deals with you. It's very common in relationships. Suspicion drives so many. See, there's many different words of fear. Like suspicion is one of them. Parents. You have a daughter, and you're suspicious as to whether or not she really went out with her friends. So your daughter comes home, and you say, where were you? And your daughter says, I was at the mall. With who? Jan and Amber. (laughs) Just Jan and Amber? Yes, just Jan and Amber. There was no boy with you? No, it was just Jan and Amber. You sure? Yes, Mom, it was just Jan and Amber. This happens about four or five consecutive times. So the sixth time, you know what your daughter says? Well, my mother going to think a boy is going to be here anyway. So we might as well have a boy come with us. <laughs> Amber, bring your brother. <laughs> you know what? Because when she wasn't doing anything wrong, the suspicion opened the door for fear. You see, what happens is fear begets fear. You know, the Bible says that our sinful nature rises out of fear. Our desire to do wrong comes out of fear. Notice, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first sign of sin in the garden was fear. The first time Adam and Eve sinned, they hid. And because they were too ashamed to admit what they did, because they then believed the lie that God no longer loved them, they believed that God was no longer good, they began to reject the loving kindness of God that was trying to draw them. Does that make sense? So now the motivation of Adam and Eve after the fall became fear. Because they then had a knowledge of good and evil. Before it was just good. Now they had good and evil. Does that make sense? So when you, when, when you, when you use fear to, to, to inspire behavior, you use domination, suspicion. Some people use divisiveness. I've seen this with leadership in churches where they will use divisiveness in order to gain faithfulness out of their members. 
It's very sick and, 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 and twisted. Divisiveness meaning they'll get you to not trust the people in your church. They'll get you to not trust the people sitting next to you. Why? Because you need to believe me more than you believe anybody else in your church. And that's, a, that's what cults do too. All cults have the same characteristics, by the way. They use fear to control you. Fear is not your friend. Say that with me. Fear is not my friend. Some people depend on witchcraft. And another common thing that we see is that when we want to inspire people with fear, we will withdraw love from people. In other words, because I'm afraid you're going to leave me, I'm going to act cold towards you and in hopes that you will see me leaving so that you would want to stay. Again, another manipulative tactic. Sometimes our parents did that to us. You do good, right? Some people can't admit it. It's, it's these emotional dysfunctions all are inspired by fear. And I want you to see that. There's only two basic motivations in life, either fear or love, church. So when God says, I'm perfect love, cast out all fear, it's because in order for us to rightfully live our lives from a, from a standpoint of love, we have got to kick the fear out of our lives. All positive emotions come from love, and all unhealthy, toxic emotions flow out of fear. As a matter of fact, when the Bible talks about the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh, all is fear-based. I'm going to show you this last verse, Galatians 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm telling you, once you let this love fill you, fill you up. See, he's uprooting the fear so he can fill you with, the, with his love. You can't hold on to fear and love at the same time, okay? Verse 16, I'm going to read the New Living Translation, the NLT. So Paul writes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your flesh or your sinful nature craves, right? Look at the next verse. The sinful nature wants to do evil. The sin, your sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. Now, hold on. So if, this, if, if our sinful nature wants to do evil, and see, if you feel loved, you don't, you don't want to do evil. A person that feels loved does not want to do evil. So that means my sinful nature is not being motivated by love. The sinful nature is motivated by fear. It's who you think you are without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And another thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Now, if God is love, 
then the Holy Spirit can also, or the Spirit of God can also be known as the Spirit of love. Right? So let the Spirit of love guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature desires. What does the sinful nature desire? The sinful nature wants to do evil. But the sinful nature wants to do evil only because it's not being motivated by love. Amen? Your sinful nature is your nature outside of love or when you don't know how loved you are. And it is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Then he goes on to tell us what that is. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, right? So we all want to do good. We all want to love people. We all want to live a good life and be forgiving and be apologetic. But what comes out may not match the intentions that's in our hearts. And the only reason why is because that love has not really hit that place in us yet. It is that root, like I said, it got to be rooted. It has to be grounded in us. Many of us know intellectually we're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but practically that's not what happens. Right? Because it's still something we know in theory, but it has not made that six-inch journey from our head to our hearts. And the Spirit of God is trying to bring that, us, bring that out of us, our true selves. So as I close, watch what he says. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Guess what happens when you don't know how loved you are? Sexual immorality. Impurities. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Some people love quarreling. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness, wild parties and, and other sins like these. And let me tell you, as I've said before, anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the spirit of love produces the kind of, this kind of fruit in our lives. What? Love, joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And once again, notice that in the, in the lust of the flesh or in the sinful nature, fear wasn't in there. Because once again, fear is the motivation, not the behavior. Fear is what inspires all those negative practices. I don't know how loved I am. So I step into adultery to feel loved. I don't know how loved I am. So I put myself in a room with different men and women and have an orgy. I don't know how loved I am. So I'm jealous of her. I'm jealous of him. I don't know how loved I am. So I quarrel with everybody that say anything to me. It's just, when you see those, these behaviors, it's just that I just don't know how loved I am yet. That person just doesn't know how loved they are yet. 
And you know what God has given us, the church, the responsibility of doing? We are here to embody love so we can give people a firsthand encounter with how loved they are by God. And when we show people how loved they are, then that person has the capacity to get out of the fear that has been motivating their life all their lives. You see? But the church, we haven't been able to do that because we've been married to fear. So the word of the Lord over us today, as God says, he is setting you free from the spirit and the control of fear. Maybe that fear has come in when you were a baby, when you were a child. You weren't protected by the, 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 the guardians in your life. Maybe you went through a system in which you didn't have parents to love you. Maybe you grew up, maybe you did have parents around you. But you got into a room and people, someone took advantage of you and they robbed you of that innocence that you're supposed to have of just having a childlike faith in life. Maybe someone told you that you were nothing and they told you that you were worthless and told you that you could never amount to anything. And so you grow up believing that you can never grow up, you can never be anything, you can never accomplish anything. And so you live your life riddled and drowning in fear, hoping to, to catch your breath that one day maybe I can. But then someone else just puts you down and says, nope, you can't do it. You can't be anything. You're not worth this. You're not worth it. So what God needs to do is he needs to remove the veil of fear. Woo. God needs to shroud the fear. I see something in the spirit right now. Can I see that? That this right here. Can I have one volunteer? How long is this thing? How many of these? Is more than one? Can I have one volunteer? Andre, come since you are here. Oh, we had a volunteer. Right, you come. He came out. He was getting up. Amen. Let's bless the Lord for him. I'm going to put this over your head, all right? <laughs> I just saw this in the spirit. I just saw in this. You, you ever been afraid of the dark? I said, I still am. Amen. We're going to get set free. <laughs> All right. When you were um, a child, and I remember one time there was like a big thunderstorm outside, and the room was dark, and there's sort of lightning and the thunder, and so I just went, I pulled my covers over my head because I was afraid. You see, what fear does is fear puts a cover over you. And you're shrouded in that fear. And what happens is this. The storms of life start raging against us, so we put this cover on. So you're, you're, now you start trying to walk through life. You start trying to go through life. But guess what? Your vision is obstructed because you're trying to see in the dark. Because you don't want to see the thunder. You don't want to see the lightning. You don't want to see the storm. So now you either need a somebody to guard you, but you know what? It feels safe because you're not seeing the storm. You're not seeing the pressure. You're not seeing the fight. But as long as I just keep this on, I'm going to keep this over me because it makes me feel better. 
That's why people keep fear on them. Because fear acts like a security guard to you. I feel safe with fear. It's a false security. But with this, with this veil on, anybody that comes around me, I, don't, I can't see them for who they are. So now, someone stands next to him. Can you tell who's standing next to you? No. I want you to try to figure out who's standing next to you without taking the, the, your, the thing off. You can't tell, right? He knows it's a female. All right, pretty good. All right, is somebody else standing next to you on your left-hand side? Okay. Another female, okay? Now, just stand. I know. I think you can. I want you to just lift it up just a little bit, just a little. Don't, not all the way. Put your, just put your foot by his feet, all right? Now, can you tell who's standing next in front of you? That's good. How can you tell? <laughs> awesome. But do you see the, can you see the her whole features? No. But you can tell by looking at wait, her feet. All right. Awesome. So watch this. So he couldn't tell who was standing next to him. But because he knew this person a little bit better, because he spent a little bit more time, he was able to recognize without seeing her whole feature. And so, as long as he keeps this, this veil on, he can't see everybody for who they are. He can't see the fullness of who they are. It's not until he removes the veil and removes the fear off of him that he can finally see who was standing next to him. Right? Now, watch this. This is why fear has to be removed. Because as long as you see, if you're trying to look through fear, you're never going to see people for who they really are. You will never be able to see the people around you for who they really are as long as the fear is over you. That's the light that we need, love. If I, see, if I try to interpret life with fear over me, I'm never going to see I'm never going to see life the way that it is. I'm always going to see it through the obstruction of fear. That's why people still depend on suspicion. That's why they still depend on uh, domination or manipulation or control. They have to use other means to try to get through life. But when the veil is removed and fear is lifted off of you church, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because I'm seeing everything clearly. One more time. The reason why you put the cover on is because you're afraid. Once I remove it, it's because there's, remember said, he says, once there's no fear, you have a boldness. I have a boldness. As long as he puts this on, he has to walk cautiously. He has to 
Make sure he's safe. Try to walk. All right? He got to walk slow. He got to watch where he's going. All right, stop. <laughs> See, when you, when you don't, when, when you literally think about love, think about it as the vision, as your vision in life. Because everything you do has to be motivated from this thing called love. Are you getting this? You're never going to be able to see people accurately until you walk in love. Say walk in love. When you walk in love, you walk in the light. Amen. Let's give a round of applause to my brother. (laughs) And my beautiful assistants. Amen. So I just saw that in the spirit. God is removing the veil of fear off of you. Church, you're not going to behold the glory and the beauty of life looking behind fear. Let that anxiety go. Let that phobia go. I want you to realize it's as simple as that. As long as you think you need fear to do life, you're going to have fear. You have to realize that fear is not wisdom. Fear is not a form of wisdom. You're not better because you're, look, you're thinking about things through fear. That just set somebody free. You don't make better decisions because you're afraid. You actually make worse decisions. I'm going to end with this. I heard a billionaire talking to a millionaire. Not in person. I was watching it on, on something. The billionaire... I was talking to the millionaire. The millionaire, you could think he's doing well, but he was trying to figure out how to become a billionaire. Right? You know, the billionaire told the millionaire this. He said, you want to know why you're not a billionaire yet? He said, because there's still something that you're not doing because you're afraid of it. The only reason why you're not a billionaire yet is because you haven't tried something yet because you're afraid. The billionaire said, every level of success I reached, I did it after doing something I was afraid of doing. I was uncomfortable doing. Fear is comfortable. Fear is comfortable. But you can't reach new levels in fear. You can't reach new successes in fear. You can't do greater works with fear. That's why I'm challenging you right now. Abandon your fears. It's not, it's, it's not working for you anymore. It helped you feel safe in the moment. But where you're going, you can't keep fear with you. Come on, church. You cannot walk in fear and expect to see the miracles, the signs, the wonders, and the glory of God breaking out in your life. It starts now. And all we're doing right now today is I want you all to stand on your feet. I want you to divorce fear. We're going to kill fear. We're going to destroy fear. Woo, glory to God. Everything you need is on the other side of fear. You're wondering why you haven't been seeing new levels in your finances. It's because you're still making the same scared decisions. You're still managing and budgeting your money the same scared way. 
That's why you're not seeing new money. Everything you need is on the other side of fear. Your future, your dreams, it's only going to happen. And what I realize what God does, what the enemy does is he puts fear around the very areas I know I should be going. <laughs> I can do everything else, but the one thing I should be doing, I'm afraid. <laughs> right? Because there's no purpose attached to that. There's no destiny attached to that. But the very areas purpose and destiny is attached to, you see fear trying to block you. Idra, come. Larry, come. You stand right here. Look at me. And so, look at me. And so here's what happens is, my destiny is on the other side. And I'm going there. But in the way, there's that bodyguard of fear. So, if I go in this direction, it seems like it's endless. I can keep going. Nothing is in the way. If I go that way, it seems like nothing is bothering me. But as soon as I turn this way, I feel some resistance. <laughs> This is where the love of God comes in. When I know how loved I am, there's no fear in love. So what that means is this. I'll talk about circumstantial theology. Most of you believe, wow, these circumstances are stopping me from going where I want to go in life. So I build a theology. Well, maybe God don't want me to go here. Maybe this is not meant for me. Yes, Woo, I just heard this for somebody in healing. They pursued healing in an area. For, they wanted healing in their life, and they tried to get it before. They pray, somebody prayed for them. Nothing happened. So they said, well, maybe God just wants me this way. So your circumstances, oh, now your circumstances become more real to you than what the word of God has to say. It's God's will that you are healed. It's God's will that you have no sickness. It's God's will that you are free from every sickness. But then, if I try to get healed and nothing happened, my theology I'm going to create says, well, God doesn't heal everybody. The devil is a liar. The Bible says a just man falls seven times, but gets back up. He keeps going. He doesn't, he doesn't allow the circumstance to determine what he can have. No, I am the righteousness of God. Whatever God says I can have is I can have it. If healing is on the other side of this, I'm going to go after it. Even if I fall two times, even if I fall three times trying, I'm going to keep going after it. I know God promised me prosperity. I know he promised me wealth. So even if I made some risk and I failed, a just man gets back up again and he goes after it. He will fall seven times, but keeps getting up. So I try again. I try, I try, and it ain't happen. But I know who God said he is, and I know who he says I am. So I'll go again. Then I'm tempted again. You know what? Maybe this ain't for me. Wait a minute. No. I'm a son of God. 
There's nothing in this world that's going to determine where I can go or what I can have. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. So I do it again. <laughs> then I call on my intercessors. Come on, Andre. Come on, Gary. I call on my intercessors. I'm believing God for this thing. I'm believing God for this thing. And I was a little, I was, I was afraid. I started getting a little fear. But the fear I've been running into is just a sign that this is what I need to do. So I need you to pray. Because if we can touch and agree, if we can touch and agree on a thing, if we can touch and agree, it shall be done. So in the name of Jesus, see, this is my, my faith is expressed through love. I'm not motivated by fear. I'm motivated by love. I'm motivated in the fact that God loves me. And because he loves me, there's no good thing he will withhold from me. This good thing on the other side is marriage. This good thing on the other side is wealth. This good thing on the other side is health, healing, deliverance. So whatever I need. God, you will not withhold any good thing from me. I know you love me. I am loved by you. I am a child of God. And guess what? I'm not going to shrink back by fear anymore. So this time, when I walk through, fear has to go. Y'all move. 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 I'm going. I'm going where God wants me to go. I'm going to the places God says I can be. Come on, if you believe that this is your season, this is your time, if you are not going to allow fear to determine where you go, I want you to lift up your voice. Come on, to begin to sound. It's my season. It's my time. No more chains holding me down. Come on, come on. I receive my breakthrough. My deliverance, it's mine. Oh, come on, I want you to know God is not holding it away from you. He's been holding it on reserve for you. He wants to see who has his faith, who is motivated by his love to begin to go where he said to go. Come on, you can't find it in fear. You're not going to find your blessing in fear. You're going to find it in love. You're going to find it in love. Woo! Yeah. God says you're not going to find your destiny in fear. Come on. Remove that veil. Divorce the fear from your heart. Divorce the fear from your heart. What's that? Divorce the fear from your heart. And fear is a spirit. Just tell it to go. It's a spirit. You have authority over it. There is no good thing he will withhold from those whom he loves. Come on, fear is not going to determine how far you go anymore. Whoa. He's taking the limits off. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.